today, I want to talk about three ways to overcome sin. Because it's just something that's there all the time. There's a possibility for moment to moment to enter in. But I think many believers struggle with the issue of sin in their life. Not in the sense that they're just tempted, but that they're struggling to overcome. And there's, there's, there's extremes on this. There's a scale if you want to look at it. And on this one side of the scale, it, it's those who are, just feel hopelessly bound and they, they're trying with all their ability and all their strength and everything they know to, to stop doing what they're doing and to quit and to grow and to, to get stronger in the Lord. But there's this something that's holding them back. They're hopeless. They absolutely feel like they're stuck and there's no change in the future and they're there. Then there are those who have begun to overcome. And I think of it like there's this, there's this um, thing that John talks about. He says he talks about the little children. Then he talks about the young men because they have overcome the enemy. And there's ones that, that are, are at a level where, where they're experiencing more freedom and, and they're experiencing more of the life of God and, and being able to walk and be able to be, have victory over the things that have hindered their life. But there's still things that are coming our way and, and moving upon us. And then there are those who have matured. And you never come to the point where you're sinless or you say, I'm so awesome, I never struggle, I never have troubles. Because if you think the devil tempted Jesus, who is the sinless one, the perfect one, the one who never sinned, he chose life and he chose it abundantly every single solitary day. He walked in obedience to God and the fullness of God. And so there are ones, they're walking in freedom. They're walking and experiencing God's life over and over, even though they're tempted, even though there are things that are coming against them because the enemy never rests. And so there's this whole thing, and I, I, there's many that I think just struggle with this issue of sin. And uh, I think I want to talk about three key ways. That there's not the only ways, but three key ways for us to overcome sin in our life because I truly believe that sin, when we sin, it's because we don't understand who we are. It's we do not understand who we are in Christ. And that's a strong thing that I have in my heart. Because here's, here's what we have to do. The first thing is to realize who we are in Christ. That's the first thing. Realize who you are in Christ. Because what you think you are is how you'll live. It's absolutely true. What you think you are is how you'll live. You'll live within those constraints. I'm sure you've heard this before, but they had this, I don't know, people do interesting things, and I have no idea why, but they do these things, or maybe it's just an observation. Uh, they put these little fleas in a jar. They put a top and a lid on it, so the fleas would jump and smack their heads, and of course it hurt, you know. So you can just imagine in flea lingo, ouch! you know, hitting the ground, boom, 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 every single time. And I don't know how they measured it, but then they came to a point where they took the lid off the jar and they would only jump right before the height of the jar. They would never jump out. They could. They had the ability. But because they hit their head over and over and over and over and over again, they got it 
beamed in their brain, I guess, this is all the higher I can jump or I'm going to get knocked down. And so that's what they did. And then you see the most ridiculous thing in the world. You see this giant, massive elephant that weighs tons, strength and ability to just grab a tree and rip it out of the ground. And you see this huge elephant with a tiny little rope tied to a stake that it could pull out of the ground so easily. But what they do is they get these elephants when they're babies and they put them in and they put them in a stake that's big enough to hold a little elephant because they're not super strong. And they pull and they tug and they find out that when this thing's on my leg, I'm stuck. And that's all there is to it. This is all the, I can't break free. And so then they take this giant elephant that could rip the tent down in, in moments and put it on this little rope and it stands there because it knows it's helpless. So what you believe truly does affect how you'll live. And so for many of us, from our past, the things that have happened in our lives, the things that we believe about ourselves and all those things, they actually limit the way that we can live. The limit the way that we can step out and begin to move in the things of God because we're shaped by our past. We've been beaten down by it. We've been shaped and molded into what we think we are. And if it doesn't line up with who God says we are, then it's not the truth. I'm, it's not the truth. And so this first idea is to understand who we are in Christ. And knowing who you are in Christ will transform your life. That's all there is to it. I, I don't know any other way to get around it. When you believe what God says about you, who you are, and what he has for you, when you truly believe it deep in the heart, not just in the mind, when you truly believe this, you'll begin to understand who you are and begin to walk in the things of God and begin to walk in a new freedom and a new liberty that you probably never knew he actually had, and that's the greatest part. Many of us have experienced it in areas of our life. And so if we begin to get this understanding, if we begin to understand one of the things that God has said about us, then we can begin to maybe believe the others are true. And so there's this whole concept and idea of, of us just being shaped. So too often we live in the visions from our past and base our identity on it. We do it all the time. Now, I'm, I'm going to pick on something that, that I've, I've picked on before, but I, I'm only picking on, on the specific thing. So um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a custom. And here's what they say. Hi, I'm Terry, and I'm an alcoholic. It's a confession about who I am, what I am. And a person can have a 10-year pin, a 15-year pin, and a 20-year pin. But if you're part of Alcoholics Anonymous, you stand up and say, Hi, I'm Terry. I'm an alcoholic. And the reason I'm, I want to talk about this is because I think we can do that. Now, just think. I was thinking through my life. The, everything I'm going to say for, from this moment on, I've done. Okay? But just think if we were meeting today and I got up and say, Hi, I'm Terry. I'm a sinner. 
I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm stupid. I'm a failure. I'm insignificant. I'm immoral. I'm fearful. I'm insecure. I'm a loser. I'm an alcoholic. I'm guilty. I'm shameful. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm angry. I'm a mess. Those things speak about what I used to be. Those things speak of what I used to do. But they don't speak of who I am now. They don't speak about that. And so a problem with identifying ourselves with something that's in the past is it limits us and keeps our brain and our mindset right there. And this is what really becomes important. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and I love this because this is the, really the point. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the point. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. He says, this is the way that you once were, but something happened and something changed. There's something that took place. And when we come to Christ, it says that we're a new creature. All things become new. There's a new creation that God has done within us. Our spirits come alive and we have now an opportunity for something else because we have been washed. He's cleansed us of all of our sin. He's washed us of all of our past. We're now, in God's eyes, clean, and we can begin to walk. Now we've been sanctified, set apart, made holy for the purpose of God, to live for God and to walk in His ways. We have been changed and transformed. And then it says that we have also... um, Uh, been justified, which means that we have been absolutely said not guilty, free from any condemnation, any judgment from God. We're free from the wrath of God. We have something new that has taken place. And there is such a thing as a past, but there's a future that past has been severed. It's been cut off, and we can begin to walk in the newness of life, and that really becomes an important thing. And so when I say I'm a sinner, I'm an alcoholic, I am this, I am that, we're confessing with our mouth something that's not right. I know why they say it. I know why they do it. But it's not God's way. It's not God's way. If I have been freed. I'm no longer. I'm something new. There's something new. So why do they say that then? I'm an alcoholic. First of all, because a lot of people don't acknowledge they're an alcoholic and they need help. And you can never actually come to the point where you say, you know, I'm I, I'm just alcohol consuming me and controlling me. If you don't con- admit it that you have a problem, you'll never be set free. 
But then once you've been set free, to constantly say that you are this, it, all it does is lock you in the past. All it does is lock you in the past. And so you're standing here, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. And I understand that some, some say that, and I believe it, I, I mean, I believe this is true, that when they say I'm an alcoholic, they're saying I can't take another drink. If I take another drink, I'm gonna, I'll just crash and burn and die. But once you've been set free, it doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. It means you don't want to drink, obviously, if you're struggling and having difficulty. But you don't have to say you're an alcoholic to not have a drink. Because if you've been set free, it'd be like me being a, a, a believer in Christ saying, I'm an unbeliever. No, I've been changed. I'm not an unbeliever anymore. I'm a believer. Right? I'm not what I used to be. I'm what I am in Christ. And the changes that he's worked and wrought in my life, those things are different. But that locks us in the past. And I think that it also does this. It keeps our focus on who we were, not on who we are. It keeps our focus on who we were in the past. I want my past forgotten as best as I can. You don't forget, but you know what I'm saying? I don't, my past is not what I am. I've gone through things. I've had things happen, all those things. But that's not who I am. It's not who I am. And I think it keeps a focus on what we can't do. And you know, the more we focus on what we can't do, the more we want to do it. It's just amazing. Because where we put our focal point and attention is where we deal with it. That's, that's what stirs things up. Now, I'm just going to say this real fast, but... The idea of the law, why did God give the law? He tells us. He says he gave the law so that it would stir up sin in our life and so that we would know that there's no way in our own strength, in our own ability, that we can ever fulfill the law because it says if you fail in one area, you're guilty of it all, the whole entire gamut. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's what the Word of God says is that if we fail at one part because the idea behind the law is I'm perfected, I'm doing the works, I'm doing this. And the reason that the law was given, it says in Galatians, is to lead us to Christ, to lead us to a Savior who can save us, who can forgive us, who can free us, who can release us. And it all comes as a gift, and it comes by faith. Because when we're trying to do things in our own strength, we'll fail every time. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how good you think you are. You cannot fulfill what God requires apart from the power of God in your life. But what's so interesting is that why do we, why do we make sin our identity? Why do we make sin our identity? You do something, that's who I am. No, it's what you do. It's what you've done. It's not who you are. And so that really becomes interesting. Real interesting. So there's a guy named Neil T. Anderson, and if you know who he is, 
he's the guy who wrote the bondage breaker he wrote um some of the different uh oh i can't remember he's got so many different books but he's got a list of things of who the scripture says who we are in christ and so what we want to do is we want to really begin to look at that and begin to have an understanding of who we are in christ because uh that's who God says we are. That's God's concept and idea of who we are. And that really becomes important. And you know what? This is just a short list. I don't know why I like to make lists. And I just I, I want to make a list of all the different things. But, you know, it would be a way bigger than this. It would be huge of the different things of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. And so I want, I want us to go through this list here, but here's what I want, want you to understand. And here's what I want you to think about as we're going through and we're reading this list. We're going to say it out loud. But as we read this list, you can say yes in your head. You can say yes in your head. Hey, why don't you look at me? And we're, we're going to read it in a minute here just a second so everybody look at me i know we can say yes in our head and no in our heart because we believe something different than what we're saying we can even speak the word we can even say the word but if we don't believe it in our heart there's not that heart belief that actually opens up the fullness of it and so if we read through this list and if there's anything that just all of a sudden in your mind goes, nope, then you need to look at this and you need to say, what am I believing falsely about myself that I reject what God says about me? These are, there's the scriptures there. What we're going to do is we're going to read, there's this little black box that says, in Christ I'm accepted. And then we're just going to read the words, not the verses or anything, not even the verse reference. So let's just go ahead and we'll just slowly read through this and proclaim what the Word of God says about us, who we are in Christ and what He has accomplished. So, in Christ, I am accepted. So let's speak it together. I am God's child. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified and accepted by God. I am united with the Lord, and I am one with Him in spirit. I have been bought with a price, and I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. In Christ, I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established and anointed and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that God will complete 
the good work he started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I do not have the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. In Christ, I am significant. I am the branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his life. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created to do good works prepared in advance. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with, G with Christ. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. Then he says here on the bottom, it's not what I've done or what has been done to me that determines who I am. Rather, it is who I am in Christ that determines what I do and how I live. My identity in Christ is not achieved, it's received. It's the unshakable ground upon which I build my life. I will not base my life upon what circumstances or others or even my own destructive thoughts say about me, but rather what God says about me. And there are many, many more of these promises, many more of these things that speak about who we are in Christ, and you could go through many of these and, uh, and just realize that any time you sense something doesn't belong to you, there's an ungodly belief any time. And for us to clean those things out and to get our hearts right with God because the, the world shapes us, it does. That's why, that's why it says so clearly, you know, in Romans 12, 1, it says, do not be conformed. That means to be pushed into a mold, into shape, and form. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. God's a God of transformation. He comes within us, and there's new life within us, and that's where everything sparks, is out of this new life, the Spirit of God dwelling within us, His power at work in our lives. And that really begins the process. So if you struggle to believe any of these things, then I, I truly want to encourage you to just, just ask yourself, ask the Lord, God, what's going on in my heart? Why, why am I struggling? I, I can understand it with my head, but there's something here that's blocking me. So help me so I can actually believe what you say. Because if you believe, if you believe even half of these things that are here, it will change the way that you live, change the way that you think, change the way that life flows through you because you'll understand who you are. Because if you noticed, all the things that I say I used to be are negative and bad and not good at all. But what he's created me to be, I've begun to walk in that. And the more I walk in that, the whole, the more whole I become, the more complete, you know, we're complete in Christ in the sense that everything is there. 
but we still have to walk it out and grow in it and increase in it and receive it. That's the whole thing. Receive it. It's a gift. It's a gift. Every promise of God is a gift based on faith, based on trust in him. And so it really becomes important. So the first thing is to realize who you are in Christ. The second is to realize whose you are. That's important. Whose you are. And a couple of those passages that we read did mention some of these things. But you're God's own possession. You are God's own possession. Jesus died to purchase you. Jesus died to purchase your life. God's not like a like this cruel slave master, and now he bought us. He bought us out of death into life. He brought us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son because he wants us to walk in the life and the fullness that he has made available to us. He's brought us into his family. We're his, we're his possession in the sense that, that we've been paid for, that there's a high price. You are so valuable that Jesus died for you. That's how valuable you are. The blood of Jesus proves your worth, proves who you are, because he was willing to pay the price. And you are God's valuable possession. But here's the other thing. You're his treasure. You're his treasure. God treasures you. I think Suzette said this before when she was preaching one time. I just remember, I think it was the last time she preached. But she used to get mad at this one preacher because he'd always say, I'm God's favorite. you know. And then she went through his teaching and began to understand that we're all God's favorite because God can love us equally. He doesn't run out of love. God's not limited like we are. He has unlimited love, and his love never changes, never varies. It never goes up and down. It remains the same for every single one of us, even when we do things that are dumb, even when we sin. Even when we are enemies, it says, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that even when we were opposed to him, set our hearts against him, he died to pay the price for us because of his great love. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loves you with an everlasting love. That's all there is to it. That's one of my favorite verses talking about the love of God. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Don't see God's love going up and down by what you do. Then you misunderstand the love of God because it's consistent and it's as constant as he is. He's the unmovable and he's unshakable. He's strong and faithful and passionate and kind and generous and merciful. And those things never change because it's a character. It's who he is. And those things flow. So God is love, and his love is constant, consistent, always available for us because we're his treasure. It says in, uh, uh, says in I think it's uh, is it in the Proverbs, that uh, you're the apple of my eye. Sounds like a weird thing. I don't understand what apple of the eye means. It just means you're treasure chosen treasure right just a saying some sayings are so funny i try to figure out why in the world they come up with them but you're god's treasure and then you are god's child i just think how 
how that when when John the apostle when he was talking about uh, the, the word and he was talking about the word was with God and the word was God and he began to speak about who he was and then in the process of this he talks about how how the word gave us the ability to become children of God and that's just a wonderful thing just a wonderful thing it says in verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God even those who believe in his name and so were his children and you know I I personally think if you, you know we know that God doesn't have needs some people will will, will uh, adopt children out of a deep need or those kind of things to feel like like I'm going to complete myself or something. God doesn't have any of that kind of stuff. When God comes and when God chooses us, when he says, I want you to be mine, I want you to be my child, because remember, we're adopted. It talks about it in Romans chapter 8. We're adopted into the family of God. And that's a special, significant thing where God has saying, have chosen you. You were chosen by God to be his children. He didn't have to. He wanted to because of his great love, because of his mercy, because of his care for us, because we're his treasure. He wants us to be his own. And he makes us joint heirs with Jesus, which is the wildest and craziest thing. So everything that Jesus has that flows from the Father and everything that he has is ours because we're in Christ. It's ours. We're joint heirs with Jesus. It's very powerful. And if you think about this, you're God's heritage. You're God's heritage. There's Josh in the back and Josh and Lena, they're my heritage. And then there's the grandchildren, and they continue on. And I love it. I love it. So does God. He loves it. You're his heritage. Your family line, and like we talked about last week, and standing up for our families and pressing in for our families and believing for our family lines that the blessing of the Lord is going to come, that we're going to sever off and we're going to cut off all the things that that are flowing into our family that that are not uh, that are passed down through our generations. We want the blessings of God to flow. We want His life to flow because we want to see our kids, our heritage, grow and increase and thrive and to become everything that God has for them. You know, I can't even imagine wasn't thinking about talking about this, but it just made me think. Just think of some of these serial killers. Just think of their moms, their dads, their brothers, sisters, all the relatives and the family, and how one name can just taint. People might hate their guts, and they had nothing really to do with it. They didn't make the choices of their sons. Most of them 
or men. <laughs> but just think of this. There's a heritage now that's passed down. You hear certain names. There's all these terrible, bad stuff. But then you hear of certain names and all you can hear is good things and, and uh, positive that's the heritage we want to hand down. We're God's heritage. And so how we live represents him. How we live. See, we do this every once in a while. No, we don't do that because we're changers. We just don't do certain things. Can we do it? Paul says, I can do all things, but certain things are not profitable, he says. Certain things are not good. And so we just don't do them because that's not who we are. That's not who God made us to be. And so we turn away from certain things because of that. And so we're his heritage and we represent him. And so he's, he's just loved us. Realize who you are. You've been bought, paid for. And then I think what's really important too, this is, I, I think of the three, you can never make one more important than the other really. But if you understand this point, you'll know that you're not powerless. You know, we're talking about three ways to overcome sin. If you know who you are in Christ, then you're going to walk differently. If you know whose you are, you're going to have a motive to say, you know, God, I love you. I, I don't want to dishonor your name. I don't want to bring anything to mar your heritage. But to realize who is in you, to realize who is in you. There's power in you to do what God desires in your life. And so here's the first thing we're going to do. God's at work in you. God's in you. He's at work in you. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2.13. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says that God, the power of God's within you. God himself is within you to help you to choose his ways and to do his ways. That's really what's in there. So when we're struggling, when we struggle, 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 a lot of times it's in our own efforts of trying to do it in our own human strength, not recognizing about the one who's in us, who's empowered us, to walk in his ways, who gives us the ability to do these things. And I think this is important. God is at work both to will and to do. And you know, the easy way to do some of these things is to cry out to God and to say, God, this is what your word says. You're in me, so thank you. Just empower me now. I want to choose your way and to begin to step in his way. And what I usually find is that the feelings are... If you, if you live your life on feelings, you're a goner. Just 100%, you're a goner. You are a goner because you'll always... <laughs> feelings mislead you. Oh, I feel this way. Well, is it true? That's the whole thing. Feelings will mislead you. That's why... That's why when, when it talks about faith, faith looks past the feelings to the promise that God has spoken 
and begins to walk towards that promise even when they don't feel like it, even when the feelings say the exact opposite because faith is a response to God's promises and God's word. Faith isn't something that we that we make up. Faith is saying Jesus said this and we believe it. God said this and I I I believe it and I begin to walk in it. And I usually find that what happens is I begin to walk in that I find that God empowers me at that moment. It's not usually the opposite. He doesn't empower me and then it's usually I take the step and then there's that empowerment because it's a step of faith. It's a step of I'm going to do this even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to do that even though my flesh says this. I'm going to do what you said because I want to honor you with my life and do what you want me to do. And so there's this stepping out. and God's at work in us still. He's constantly stirring and working in our hearts to draw close to him because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be strengthened. He wants all these things because that's what he paid for. And this is a great scripture. This, this was a scripture I was given um, by my pastor when I first got saved and I got baptized. So he gave me this scripture. He says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 I'm confident that he who began a good work in you is going to keep working. And that's what it says in the verse before that we just looked at. God's not going to give up. He's not going to stop. He's, not, he's going to continue to bring you to, to, to the fullness of what he has for you. He's going to continue to work in your heart, continue to encourage you to, to walk in his ways because that's where life is, is in his ways. And so God is at work in you. God himself is at work in you. Not only that, Christ is at work in you. Well, how can all this stuff be? Well, Scripture says it. Here's this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says that that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we understand, oh, we're in Christ. You know, I was baptized into Christ. I was baptized into his death. But did you know what? Christ is not only, you weren't only baptized into him. He's in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ working through our hearts and in our lives. That's the hope that we have. That's the thing that we have. And God's always, always, Jesus is always for us. If you think about it, Scripture says he's interceding for us in the heavenly places, but he's also empowering us to do his will. And then the third thing, you probably figured if I was going to say God and I was going to say Jesus, I better say something about the Spirit because, after all, that's the one Jesus said he would send us. He says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. But listen to this in Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It says in those verses, it says in that verse two times, dwells, lives, abides, is in you. The Holy Spirit of God. And we know what happens is that our spirits come alive and the Spirit of God comes in our hearts when we believe in Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit of God is there energizing our life, empowering us to do the things that God asks us to do. He's always the power source. He's always the one. And if you remember how Jesus, before Jesus could really begin his ministry, he had to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had to become the anointed one. And so that's the whole thing that took place at his baptism. And if you remember what what happened as he went into the water, as he came up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested upon him. And that's how John knew he would see this dove in the Spirit. He'd see this dove rest and stay and dwell on him. And that's what Christ means is the anointed one. Anointed with what? The Holy Spirit. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about Jesus coming out in the power of the Holy Spirit after he was tempted. So, so here, here comes this wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and then all of a sudden they hear from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my beloved Son. God calls us sons and daughters. And so this is important for us to understand. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit. We had the same Spirit that dwelt in Jesus Christ is in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. He's in our lives. He's within us and stays there. In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Holy Spirit is to empower us to live the life. The Holy Spirit's main purpose in, in us is to anoint us just like Jesus was anointed so that we would have power, power to live this life. And then in Galatians chapter 5, you could really do a huge study on this stuff. But in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about first verse. It says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. There's a purpose. Jesus died to set us free. And then it says this in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The way that we overcome sin is by walking the power of the Spirit, walking out who we are. See, now, if we can put these three things together, we can, we can understand, I think, what it takes for us to walk in victory is that we recognize who we are in Christ and actually believe it and step into it. Do you know what I see happen a lot of times? <clears throat> is that if we start saying some of the things that God says we are, we often add things to it. 
Well, God says I'm holy and, and not righteous. But, you know, I sin and struggle too. And we always make some side issue that negates what God has said about us because we think somehow it's prideful for us to say that we're a son or a daughter of God. Or that we're, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're prideful if we say that we're, we're walking in some of the things that God says. And so what we have to do is we have to, to speak something that lets us know how frail and how weak we are. Uh, not that we're supposed to stand up here and say, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> you can't, can't harm me. You know, I'm tough and I don't have anything going on. But the thing is, is that if, if we're standing up here, you know, why don't we say who we are and who God has made us and thank him for what he's done? But who we are in Christ, rise up to the fullness of what God has said. Realize whose you are, that you're God's chosen, you're his treasure, you're all these things, his son and his daughter, and then begin to walk in the things of God so that he he gets glory. And then instead of trying to do it through your own strength and ability, is that what we do is we walk in the power of the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, then we won't fulfill those desires and lusts. And we can begin to walk in the power of what God has made available to us because that's the only way that we can walk the Christian life. I was just reading a book last night, and it said, it said that um, same thing I've said a whole I don't know how many times the the Christian living the Christian life is impossible. You can't do it. You can't in your own ability, and that's why Jesus came. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit, because we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what God's done in us. You know a true. think someone who really understands who they are in Christ, some may think they're arrogant, but there's never a spirit of pride because they understand that it's all a gift, something that's been given. It's a grace and a mercy gift, something that God's given us. And so I just want to encourage us to walk in his ways and to glorify God and to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just I speak the name of Jesus Christ over us. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that's at work in each one of us, that you've begun a good work in us and that you will perfect it and you will keep going and you will do it. I pray for us that spirit of revelation and knowledge and the truth of who we are in you so that we can walk in, in your ways and we can please you in all things. And so, Lord, as we go, just let your blessings pour out upon each one in a strong, 